It is time for our midday program here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. It is a Wednesday, so we got lots of things to talk about. Uh, We've got Austin Jacobson coming in. Talk a little sports. Of course, Olympics, top of the minds of a lot of folks. We've got uh, Bob Brogan working feverishly right now with a writing utensil to get you all the news. And we have Susan Littlefield. Hi, Susan. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It is, uh, it's going to be a relatively nice day before it gets really hot. And uh, I'm okay right now today. But uh, don't talk to me later. I could almost be in a sweatshirt today in Wisconsin. It's it's that chilly this morning. Is that right? Wow. Wow. If you you hear trucks in the background, I'm actually by one of the creameries, so I'm watching milk trucks deliver milk from all over. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, you betcha. Okay. All right. Well, well, uh, what do you got for us today besides some Wisconsin lore? Well, we are going to talk a little bit about what's been happening in the apple orchard. There's an apple orchard that's at the Wisconsin Farm Technology Days. But using technology, they're growing their apple trees on trellises. So we're going to talk more about that. I know. We're going to talk more about that coming up at 1219. Then at 1245, if you have not signed up for the general sign-up for CRP, I'm going to catch up with Bobby Chris Wickham as we talk about the CRP sign-up. That deadline, by the way, for general sign-up is this Friday. And then wrapping up everything at 117, uh, we'll find out more about uh, the uh, Grazemaster breed of cattle that they're, that's being developed here. And we'll get more details on that as we continue on the midday. All right. Very good. Well, thank you. And good to hear uh, Wisconsin in the background there and um, bring us home some cheese, I guess. You know, I will work on that for okay. you. All right. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. That's Susan Littlefield. Uh, Let's check in with Austin Jacobson. He's filling in for Jason Jorgensen today, who is at Big Ten Media Days. What's going on with you, Austin? Thanks, Scott. Well, two different Hall of Fame classes will be honored across the University of Nebraska school system as UNK and the Nebraska football team announced their Hall of Fame classes yesterday. And the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA champions for the first time in 50 years. It was almost fitting that Giannis Antetokounmpo dropped 50 points in the Game 6 clincher. We'll also take a look about how USA basketball will look as their 12-man roster has finally been finalized. And the United States Olympic team already suffered their biggest loss so far of the Tokyo Olympics. We've got all that and more upcoming on Midday Sports. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Austin. And uh, Huskers, by the way, picked fifth in the uh, Big Ten West. That's, Bob, that's, I'm not great at math, but that's not great. No, but uh, I'm used to hearing things like that uh, have being a bench warmer during my high school years okay so you're okay with it yeah in fact uh i did keep the bench warm quite a bit (laughs) well somebody's got to do it yeah and 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 i was happy to do it and i filled in (laughs) what do you have for us today stocks moving higher for a second day continuing to recover from a sharp drop at the beginning of the week Also, the leader of the world's fourth largest automaker expects a global computer chip shortage that has cut vehicle production to last into next year. And uh, I hope that they can find something to replace those. Absolutely. That's good. More on uh, Bob's athletic prowess later. Uh, Thanks. 
Time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins is in here, and uh, the heat is uh, on. Yes, uh, beginning to build even more. Uh, Right now, most of us, not too bad on the temperatures in the mid-70s to right around 80. Not too humid currently in those low to mid-60s for the dew points, even lower as you head towards the west. But we are seeing some temperatures right at 90 as you head right along the Nebraska-Wyoming border towards Dorrington. Yeah, and, you know, we certainly saw that warm up yesterday, 96, I think, in that area yesterday. So. So more of the same looks like today, right? Yeah, more 90s out there and that building heat as we move through the rest of the week. Looks like the worst of it's going to be on Friday, but really nothing too much in the way of any significant rain chances, unfortunately, on the way for the next few days. A little bit of cloud cover moving through central Nebraska right now from about west of O'Neill to Grand Island and Kearney on into southern areas of Nebraska, but nothing too much significant. We're seeing that sunshine filtered by some overhead clouds from this wildfire smoke. Our temperatures today seasonal as the ridge of high pressure continues to build east on the plains. Once again, most of us with temperatures right now in the mid-70s to right around 80. Some clouds mixing with the sun on occasional. That's thanks to some monsoonal moisture lifting up and over that high-pressure ridge, but unfortunately not going to result in some rain chances, maybe some isolated cases of rain as you head towards the west. Sunshine filtered by the wildfire smoke in the higher levels of the atmosphere, but luckily none of it making it to the surface, except maybe in western Nebraska into northeast Colorado. Our temperatures jump into the 90s for tomorrow through Saturday. Friday expected to be the hottest day with feels like readings with that humidity figured in as high as 105. A few thunderstorms possible with the cold front that dips south Friday night into Monday, thunderstorm chances increase a little bit for Sunday night into Monday when a northwesterly flow allows more disturbances to track to the southeast. In behind that front, weekend temperatures a little bit cooler, but still slightly warmer than average. The ridge of high pressure strengthening by the middle of next week, keeping our forecast dry with above normal temperatures. That prediction really showing up in the long-term forecast. Above normal temperatures very likely from Monday through the first three days of August in Nebraska, Kansas, and on up into the Dakotas. Below normal rainfall is expected for Nebraska and Kansas Monday through August 3rd. For the three-month outlook, including next month, September in October, Nebraska and Kansas likely to see above normal temperatures and below normal rainfall. Key weather factors impacting the markets include the combination of, or actually the continuation of hot and mostly dry weather across the Corn Belt and the end of a heat wave in the Black Sea region. The interaction between the southwest monsoon flow of moisture and a cold front will result in only light rain across the drought-stricken northern plains. Most of the northern plains likely to remain dry with temperatures nearing 100. Crop stress continues to mount on the northern plains for developing to reproductive corn and soybeans, along with a massive toll on the spring wheat. Scattered rain will fall across the northern plains for Friday into next week, but that heat continuing through the end of the month. Little or no rain will also fall in the central and southern plains, along with the southern and western corn belt over the next few days. Significant rainfall of 1 to 2 inches should be limited to the Great Lakes in northeast U.S., as well as parts of the southeast in the drier northwestern Midwest. The heat the next few days, stressing developing to reproductive corn and soybeans. In the Black Sea region, recent heat in Ukraine and western Russia being pushed aside by scattered rain, helping to improve their soil moisture. Even with the recent heat, most areas had enough soil moisture, with the exception of the Volga Valley region of Russia. Dryness there may have negatively impacted the wheat and corn. More dryness returns by the weekend in Ukraine and western Russia. More rain will be welcome in areas that were missed by the recent rains. 
All right. Well, certainly the western United States could use some of that rain to douse some fires. That's for sure. Yeah, that and that massive ridge of high pressure has continued to, to strengthen and not let up, and it's going to start, of course, to move towards our area over the next few days. That is powerful. We've seen a couple yeah. really powerful high pressure ridges this year. Yeah, and um, you know, in just a few days ago, we mentioned this yesterday in Glasgow, Montana, it hit 110 degrees, their hottest ever record wow. since 1936. Mm. My goodness. All right. Very good. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krv.com. Public Power District. The Wisconsin Farm Technology Days are underway outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. A great showcase for agriculture, not only from Wisconsin, but the global effects that it has. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I sat down and talked with Andy Ferguson. He is with Ferguson Orchards as he talked about the family operation. We have a few different family orchards around Western Wisconsin, at least from Minnesota. Our, kind of what we consider our main farm is here. The Wisconsin Farm Technology Days are underway outside of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. A great showcase for agriculture, not only from Wisconsin, but the global effects that it has. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I sat down and talked with Andy Ferguson. He is with Ferguson Orchards as he talked about the family operation. We have a few different family orchards around western Wisconsin and eastern Minnesota. Um, our Kind of what we consider our main farm is here in Eau Claire, just a few minutes from Farm Tech Days. And we also have in Trempolo County, in Chippewa County, Wisconsin, and then in on the Minnesota side of the river in Lake City, Minnesota. So all spread out in hopes of, you know, if it hails or we have a frost in one, that in theory at least that it doesn't hit all of them. Yeah, I mean, every season has its risks to us as apple growers like any crop. Um, apples are especially fragile, um, which is why we still pick every apple by hand. Um, so yeah, we, we have a lot of measures in place, uh, which is kind of what we're in Innovation Square here showing off today. Well, let's talk about Innovation Square. You've got a beautiful display of apple trees, and, and what are you hoping that folks attending will learn more about the orchard business here in Wisconsin and Minnesota? Well, thank you. We're really excited to be a part of uh, Innovation Square here at Farm Tech Days. Uh, we decided to go all out, and we actually transplanted a whole orchard into our display here. So you can actually come see live growing apple trees, um, and that kind of showcases the modern style of planting, which is very different than a lot of people might think. If they have one or two trees in their backyard, um, they might be surprised to see a big trellis system and kind of tall, skinny trees. Uh, but that's part of innovation, part of what we're here uh, showcasing to people. Let's talk about the trellis, because we don't think of trellises when it comes to growing apples. Well, we try to take care of all the tree's needs for it, so that all the tree has to do is concentrate on growing the perfect apple. So when we build a trellis system, we're supporting the tree, so it just naturally knows it doesn't need to create a big root system and expend all that energy. Um, so it's able to really put a lot higher percentage of its energy into growing apples. Same reason why we irrigate. We drip irrigate instead of spray so we don't lose as much to evaporation. Um, we basically drip 
water right onto the roots and back where it came from. Um, we try to take care of as many of those things as we can for it. It is definitely a labor-intensive crop, and you've got to love the industry and the amount of time that you guys spend out in the orchards. We do. I mean, it's uh, it's not for the faint, faint-hearted, that's for sure, but uh, yeah, we absolutely love working out in orchards, and it's kind of everyone's romantic vision of fall is walking through an apple orchard, and that's basically my commute to work, so <laughs> we love it. The other thing that we do is welcome other families to our farms every fall, um, so we're pretty big in the agritourism industry and just have corn mazes and wagon rides, petting zoos, all those kind of fun things to learn work. Alright, time for us to take a look at sports. Here's Austin. Hey, thanks, Scott. Well, five former student-athletes will be inducted into the University of Nebraska at Kearney Athletic Hall of Fame during ceremonies on homecoming weekend this year, as the 2021 Hall of Fame members are volleyball player Aaron Bird from 2006, men's golfer C.J. Farber from 99, men's basketball player Anthony Harms graduating in 2003, women's basketball player Kaylee O'Connor of 2008, and football player Lanny Shelmadine of 1968. Due to the pandemic, there wasn't a 20 20 Athletic Hall of Fame class, but this year's banquet will be held on Friday, October 8th in the Ponderosa Room at the UNK campus. The Milwaukee Bucks have won their first NBA title in nearly 50 years, topping off a season that navigated its way through a pandemic as Giannis Antetokounmpo won Finals MVP after dropping 50 points in Game 6. Now the NBA offseason begins, but there won't be much of a break. The NBA draft is next week and free agency starts in less than two weeks on August 2nd. Most new contracts can be signed starting August 6th, and the Summer League opens two days after that. And with the finals concluding, stars of USA Basketball expect to have their full 12-man roster available for Sunday's matchup against France. It's the first game for both teams in the Tokyo Olympics, as Zach Levine has been cleared to exit the health and safety protocols that stemmed from a coronavirus testing-related issue. He flies to Japan to rejoin the team tomorrow. The plan is that the three players from the NBA Finals, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, and Devin Booker of the Phoenix Suns will be in place on Saturday. Sweden has once again stunned the United States at the Olympics, this time with a 3-0 victory in the women's soccer tournament. The Americans were ranked number one in the world and the favorites to win in Tokyo as they were riding a 44-match unbeaten streak. But Sweden had other plans. They are ranked number five and have been the U.S.'s thorn in their side for recent years. The Swedes bounced the Americans from the 26 16 Brazil games in the quarterfinals, and then in April of this year, Sweden played the United States to a 1-1 draw in Stockholm. Now Sweden leads Group G heading into Saturday's game against Australia, while the United States will face New Zealand. The top two teams in the group will advance into the knockout round. And finally, six standout football players from Nebraska's 1971 National Championship team will make up the Nebraska Football Hall of Fame class, as it's John Adkins, center Doug Doomler, defensive tackle Bill Jansen, tight end Jerry List, Dave Mason from the backfield and offensive guard Keith Wortman as they will have their induction ceremony on September 10th in Lincoln. That's your look at sports. For more sports anytime, visit KRVN. Stephanie Graffel has been announced as the new executive director of the Broken Bow Chamber of Commerce, according to a news release. In that role, Graffel will be responsible for managing all chamber-related events, welcoming new business members within the growing community, 
partnering with the Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors as well as general management responsibilities. Graffel started at the Chamber of Commerce December 2020 as the administrative assistant. Since then, she has been the sole employee collaborating with the current Board of Directors to maintain an active Chamber office for all its business members. The Chamber of Commerce has continued to host and sponsor all their events during this time. Graffel says she comes into the position with an extensive medical office background, having spent over 15 years helping patients, and she looks forward to the opportunities this new career path provides. A West Omaha high school band teacher has been arrested, accused of abusing a former student over a three-year period. The Douglas County Sheriff's Office says an arrest warrant was issued Monday for 55-year-old Michelle Blueford, director of the Elkhorn South High School Band, who has been employed by the district for two decades. Officials say Blueford was arrested around 7 p.m. Monday on the warrant, charging her with felony child abuse. Investigators believe Blueford groomed a student at Elkhorn South starting in 2017, which led to sexual contact with the student. The sheriff's office said it first learned of the alleged abuse in June and launched an investigation. Officials say nearly two dozen people, including several young children living in a northwest Omaha home, were treated for carbon monoxide poisoning. The incident happened late Tuesday night when 22 people, all members of the same family, walked into an Omaha emergency room displaying symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning. Among them were at least seven children under the age of 12. Firefighters were then sent to the home in the Irvington neighborhood where they found toxic levels of carbon monoxide. Several Omaha area fire departments and EMTs also helped transport various family members to nearby hospitals for treatment. All are expected to recover. The Nebraska Travel Association elected new leadership at its annual meeting in May and opted for experience as the tourism industry digs its way out of a 2020 hole. Three officers were retained from the prior leadership team with a past president elected to a second stint in the position. David Fudge, Nebraska Land Day's executive director, was chosen to serve as the NIDA president and says the industry was affected greatly by the pandemic and is hopeful that it rebounds quickly while remaining at the ready to help advocate for their members who struggled through 2020. Tourism is Nebraska's third leading industry, but due to COVID restrictions, lodging tax was down 30% overall in 2020, a $1.6 million loss in revenue. Overall, visitor expenditures plummeted from $3.5 billion in 2019 to $2.1 billion in 2020, roughly 40%. Signs of recovery are already starting to emerge, though. For the past fiscal year ending June 30th, numbers for people shopping in Nebraska and navigating to visitnebraska.com was up 50%. This year's leadership for Anita includes David Fudge for president, Michelle Hayes of Omaha for vice president, Steve Maley of Lincoln, treasurer, and Regina Osborne of Valentine for secretary. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. We have some important deadlines that are looming with the Farm Service Agency and add to it new programs that are becoming available. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Bobby Chris Wickham with the Nebraska FSA State Office as we first talk about CRP. Now, general sign-up for CRP does end this Friday and the CRP grassland is open as well. CRP, it's that federally funded voluntary program for producers to to take um, some of their land and put it into natural resource conserving cover um, like grasses and trees. And we've had enrollment ongoing for CRP General, and that wraps up, like you said, this coming Friday. 
Um, we just opened application period for CRP grasslands. Um, so that will be open through August 20th. So for um, produce, it's, it's more of a working lands program. So landowners who have pasture or rangeland accepted into the program um, can continue to utilize it as grazing land under an approved conservation uh, plan. So, you know, they'll still be able to graze it, um, produce hay, install fencing, and those types of things as long as they're following that conservation plan. Um, so that, that application period is open now. So for um, landowners who have those types of acres, you know, they should contact their county farm service agency office to, to get that application process rolling. Is there a minimum acre required when they put in that application? Um, for that program, there would be. Um, the new thing, actually, that I wanted to highlight on that program, though, is there's a minimum uh, per acre payment rate of $15 um, under that annual contract. And that is something new that I wanted to make sure landowners were aware of. Um, there was some 1,300 counties across the nation that, that had a per acre payment rate less than $15. And so now, including several in western Nebraska, so now they'll at least have that $15 amount that'll come into play on those contracts. What do they need paperwork-wise when they're making that application? Yeah, when they come in, what they mainly need to know is what acres they want to offer for the program. Um, and then from there, the county office will work with them to, to get that application completed um, and in the pipeline. Just came out last week um, was the pandemic livestock assistance, and I, I want to reiterate to our to our listeners that have some patience because on Monday you guys had training, Tuesday it became available to sign up, so it is a learning process for everybody. Right. But it's good to see that this pandemic livestock is there for the producers that saw some big losses this last year. Right, yeah, uh, this Pandemic Livestock Indemnity Program, and PLIP is the acronym, <laughs> um, is part of the Pandemic Assistance for Producers Initiative uh, from USDA. And it is for livestock and poultry producers who, who suffered losses due to insufficient processing access during the, the height of the pandemic. Um, and it is a brand new program. Um, our office has just found out about it. Um, it is open for application from July 20th. So that's when it starts through September 17th. So there is a little bit of time there. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, if we can give our offices a little time to get up to speed on it, that would be great. As you guys have that training process, do you know yet what type of paperwork documentation producers are going to need? Um, I can't say that I know the documentation they will need. Um, I can say, though, what I understand from the payment side of it is that it will be based on 80% of the fair market value of, of the livestock and poultry, plus the cost of depopulation and disposal that they would have had. Um, per, and so there's a per head payment rate uh, using those factors. And then it'll it'll subtract out any money you may have already received for depopulation because there were some other programs mm -hmm. for that as well as any uh, payments you may have received for those livestock under the um, coronavirus food assistance program or CFAP. So there's always a formula when it comes to these programs um, but it is good that there's that type of assistance available uh, for our livestock producers and poultry producers who you know, had to make some difficult decisions when um, the processing um, access was limited during the pandemic. 
Um, I did want to say it would be for animals depopulated from the time period of March 1, 2020 through uh, December 26, 2020. All right. And again, that's the PLIP program and, and more information will be coming as you guys get trained. Right. Yep. And, and I would also stress it's for swine, chickens, and turkeys. So those are the species that this program is available for. Okay. Uh, folks want to say, hey, I want to have a voice in, in our county and in the FSA program within the state as well. Going to you guys and getting their name on the ballot is the best way to do it. You bet. Uh, it is county committee uh, election season. Nomination period is open right now through August 2nd. Um, every FSA office has a county committee that helps with uh, some local decision making and some basically the, the farmer and rancher liaison to the county FSA office. So it's an important uh, role. And there are, are generally three to five members on each FSA county committee, and usually one or two seats are open every year. My conversation with Bobby Chris Wickham. Again, if you want to know more information about deadlines and programs that are available through the FSA, you just need to contact your county FSA service center. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With a business report for Wednesday, I'm Bob Rogan. Stocks are moving higher on Wall Street for a second day. Continuing to recover from a sharp drop at the beginning of the week. Despite Monday's steep drop, all three indexes are now positive for the week. The S&P 500 was up six-tenths of a percent in early trading. Investors are turning their attention to company earnings, which have started to roll in steadily. Dow component Coca-Cola was up 2% after the company raised its full-year forecast and reported better-than-expected results. Fast food chain Chipotle Mexican Grill jumped nearly 9% after the company also reported better-than-expected results after the closing bell yesterday. The leader of the world's fourth-largest automaker expects a global computer chip shortage that has cut vehicle production to last into next year. Stellantis CEO Carlos Tavares says the shortage will easily drag into 2022. He doesn't see enough signs that chipmakers in Asia are increasing semiconductor production that will come to the West. The shortage has forced most automakers to halt production at times, creating shortages and driving up prices because demand remains high. As a result, the average cost of a new vehicle in the U.S. hit a record of over $42,000 in June, according to the Kelly Blue Book. A U.S. official says President Joe Biden plans to meet next month with business executives about cybersecurity. The August 25th meeting will also involve members of the administration's national security team. It comes as the White House is scrambling to help companies protect against ransomware attacks from Russia-based criminal syndicates and as the administration also confronts an aggressive cybersecurity threat from the Chinese government. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Whitney Steckel joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Bike Cattle Company in Pleasantdale, Nebraska, developed their own Grazemaster breed of cattle to suit their land. To learn more about Grazemaster genetics, we are talking with Del Fike with Fike Cattle Company. Del, tell us about Fike Cattle Company and what your mission is within the industry. So, Fike Cattle Company is a traditional, untraditional type operation. So, like many other 
farms and ranches in the country, you know, we go way back, which the generations uh, before certainly are important, but it's the generations that, you know, we're trying to change things to, you know, help protect and preserve their their lives and the quality of it to the environment, things like that. So we have a cow-calf operation. It is a seed stock operation. Also, uh, we have a small meat company. We trademarked our own breed of cattle about five years ago after around 30 years of trying to develop what we think is the perfect cross or perfect breed for for our uh, our location. So the Grazemaster breed has been long in the works basically since 1984. Uh, we raised registered Herefords, my family did for about 70 years before that. And we always wanted something a little bit more. I'm a true believer in we, we need all those purebred cattle to make beautiful crossbred cattle that makes more money and uh, all that cool stuff for the people that are getting them. So um, we're a holistic operation. Everything is natural now. We're not organic, um, but our, our phrase is we're natural by tradition. We're doing a lot of things that, you know, the generations before did that were very successful and certainly not, uh, you know, stifled by some of today's conventional agriculture things that kind of hold people back. So tell me a little bit more about the Grazemaster Master genetics and how they play a role in your operation specifically. So the Graze Master is more of a theory or a philosophy than I get like actually hung up on the breeds, but the breeds involved in this currently, and that's evolving all the time too, are Hereford, Red Angus, Semitol, and Obrac. Obrac's a, a breed that come out of France. It's actually a triple purpose breed. They're in their in our composite because it's uh, they're really good foragers. They're not browsers per se, but they come pretty close. They tend to eat a lot of stuff other breeds won't. They're a high butter fat content breed, which we love that in our meat program because high butter fat tends to correlate into taste and tenderness. So each breed is in there for a reason. Um, and we build Graze Master type breeds all across the country <clears throat> and even you know, across the world now on on people trying to figure out, because we've gotten so far away from cattle that actually really work well as being cows, people are asking us, hey, how do we, how do we basically let the cow be a cow or how do we make that breed that isn't dependent on, you know, copious amounts of extra feed, all that type of stuff, you know, because we're raising these cattle in an environment that is healthy, just like us as people, when we or in healthier environments and eating right or eating better, you know, it's better for everyone. So it's more of a, a, a theory or philosophy that can work any place, but it's really seeing how or what we need as far as the cattle in the area we're standing. If that makes sense, we just, we're trying to acclimate them perfectly to whatever region of the world we're in. To learn more about Grazemaster Genetics, you can visit fightcattle.com. Again, that is Del Fike with Fike Cattle Company. This is Whitney Stalko reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Difference. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network as we check in now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, coming out to the close of the day, it looks like soybean oil, Minneapolis wheat, kind of the laggards on the day, catching the most selling everything else ends in the green or at least with a mixed uh, bullish incentive coming into the close. Was today just kind of a back and forth one, resetting some of the things we've already seen earlier this week? Yeah, well, corn filled the gap. 
He's looking at that one on the December features. September contract, they're getting close. So there's still probably another 15 cents. I don't know if the funds are covering positions here. That seemed to be the trade that we saw most of the morning when the Minneapolis fell. I'd say the forecasts are a little bit better. I mean, the, the, the ridge is, is going to hang around central Iowa until, uh, you know, something changes. So predicting rain in that, that asset, in that sense is very difficult. But I do think, you know, don't chase the market lower. And in the case of corn, I would probably be looking to lock in early sales here, uh, you know, for, for December, at least given where we are. I just kind of worry that, um, you know, the, the macro economy wa could, could wash out here, uh, given the low and low interest rate number we're seeing that bonds are kind of telling us there's a problem somewhere. So that's my worry in the, in the near term for the downside. As far as upside goes, uh, you know, you got flooding in China. We've got droughts in Canada and in the upper part of the Midwest. Um, you know, weather's certainly friendly, and, and the acreage number didn't, didn't give the bears any help. So that'll be the pull, push and pull of the market here over the next couple of weeks. Talking about those macro macro forces on the outside trade, U.S. dollar index hits a multi-month high out early in the session, starts to ease through the rest of it. Is that more indicative of the fact money is still liking the safe havens of the greenback along with the U.S. Treasury? Yeah, well, it's easy to see the economic data is strong here and it's not in the rest of the world. Um, you know, it's, I will say one thing to be on the bearer side, and you're starting to see some demand change a little bit. We got uh, the announcement from a group of senators yesterday that they're going to try to kill the ethanol mandate uh, for corn. So that's an interesting that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, what that'll do here in the near term, I you know, it's, that, that was one of the more shocking things to read this morning. You know, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter this week in Grain. If you'd like to check out the newsletter or more, go to danielsagmarketing.com. Again, the website, danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Again, coming into the close, Chicago and Kansas City wheat in solely in the green. It looks like Minneapolis wheat and soybean oil are going to be the heaviest selling on the day. Both, con both sets of contracts down nearly 2%. And that's going to do it for our midday program for today. If you'd like to hear the midday program in its entirety, you can go to krvn.com and just click on the podcasts.